Welcome to episode 113 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today was a brisk 66 degrees Fahrenheit in Boston, Massachusetts, reminding me that fall is upon us and with it PSL, apple picking, and though I try to forget about them, pumpkin muffins at Dunkin'. It also means that we have less than 100 days left in 2018. That's just enough time to push off all of our big goals into 2019. Now what you were expecting from me? Well, I'm not a big believer in doing seven goals at once, and I've learned the hard way that you're least likely to succeed with any of them if you try to do all of them. So I want you to list out all of your biggest, most audacious goals that you'd love to accomplish before the end of 2018. Then I want you to pick one of them to focus on this year, just one. The rest go into your 2019 goals list. My one thing, writing a second book. You may be surprised to learn that I don't love to write. It just doesn't come naturally to me, but I've committed to writing a second book and I'm super excited about the idea of it, even if I'm a little bit anxious about the execution. I'm writing a book that will help my ideal client, an entrepreneur or woman in her 50s, grow her business to the next level using relationship-based strategies. So far, I have mind mapped, created an outline, and set a goal to finish the rough draft by the very end of October and to launch this book in February 2019. Your challenge for this week, you have enough time to make enormous progress on your one goal before the end of the year. So what will it be? Update your website, apply to be a TEDx speaker, launch a new minimally viable product, build an engaged email list. Perhaps like me, you want to write a book. Let me know what it is that is your one thing. Now onto this week's show. Today's guest is an award-winning writer and digital media innovator. A first-generation digital native, she has spent more than 25 years launching, building, and advising internet and social media ventures, starting with a bulletin board system she published online at age 14. As a nationally recognized expert on online culture and social technology, she wrote The Digital Mystique, which shows us how digital media is shaping our lives in real time. Whether it's how we raise our children, communicate in love and partnerships, support causes, or establish friendships and trust, she pinpoints the best ways to seize digital opportunities to make our lives richer and fuller. As a serial entrepreneur, she has founded IT, internet, and digital media companies, including Leading in Digital, a media strategy consultancy that she ran for 12 years. Currently, she's developing original content for film and digital video. Please join me in welcoming Sarah Granger. Hi, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me from your office in San Francisco Bay Area. I love that area. I'll be out there soon. I'll have to look you up. So um, I want to know, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. Tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Gosh, leadership means so much to me. I think I'll answer part two first. Uh, give a little more background. Um, my parents were both really engaged in the community where I grew up. And so for me, just, I, I saw that kind of engagement and leadership pretty regularly. And, you know, they would, they would sign up to chair organizations or events or organize or 
just be that person. And so it seemed natural to me to continue that type of work. I stepped up as a student leader in high school and college. Um, and that gave me a lot of confidence in my abilities. But the when I first started getting real leadership training was, was in college at, uh, there was a program, I went to the University of Michigan, and they had this leadership program where we were able to learn about different leadership styles. Um, and that that gave me the opportunity to, to really discover how to listen better and, and see how other people think and work. So for me to answer part one of the question, what leadership is to me, I, I think of it as how to take the time to see what other people don't see, listen and organize and be able to strategize and move forward with an agenda. So it's sort of a, a combination of things, but um, being able to stand out on your own and make a statement and say, okay, I'm going to do these things, but also being able to bring other people along with you by taking advantage of all those different skills. Yeah, it's true. If no one followed you, then then I couldn't, yeah. I wouldn't really be a leader. <laughs> You'd be a person with a great idea. You know, you give me some hope when you're talking about your parents being like these really civically engaged leaders. Um, I see myself in that in that light and I'm raising some kids and I'm thinking, you know, my my fear is that they will become Alex B. Keaton. <laughs> that they will rebel against the the way of life that I have created um, in some way. But it's nice to hear that you saw that that those were role models for you about what leadership could look like and that, you know, you sort of thought, well, why not me? And you applied it in your own sphere. So it sounded like even at a very young age, you were, I guess, seeking formal leadership roles. Would that be right? Like in a, in a, like a high school setting, you know, running for office, were you doing that kind of leadership style or was it more that you just were a good organizer of your peers? It was, it was both. It was both. Sometimes I just stood up to do something when no one else would. Sometimes I ran. Um, I was actually elected as student government president in the College of Engineering at University of Michigan. And so that was that was a pretty big deal at the time. And um, you know, I wouldn't have certainly stepped up to do something like that had I not been chairing other organizations and running for things earlier. You know, you have to I, I'm not one of those people that can just jump right in. It was it was definitely a trajectory to it. Um but but yeah, I mean I, I think that having positive role models makes a huge difference. And, you know, the, the kids that we're seeing now is stepping up. There, there's so many different ways you can get involved now, which is, I think, really one of the phenomenal things that we have available to us. You know, I, you mentioned how, how young I was when I got online. I was actually nine when I first started communicating online. And so for me, um, building digital connections and being a, an, a leader online um, was also very natural from very early. So one of the things I try to do is to help people today, either either kids today or parents, you know, try to navigate that when, when they're afraid, oh no, you know, Jan is spending too much time online, you know, with her friends or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, no, no, really, there are some good things that can come out of this. Don't worry. Right. It's just a tool. I think it's hard sometimes to remember that tools can be, you know, to build and break. Like it's, yes. 
they they're just a tool. But um, obviously, having like you're you had other people involved in what you were learning, what you were doing, and I guess it was probably a little bit of a different era. I'm a little curious. You kind of just jumped through this in a minute ago about this this role that you um, ran for at Michigan. You you said that you were the like the president of the student body for the engineering school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that a big deal that a woman was the engineering school representative? Was that like was that I don't know not yet an <laughs> arm? I don't. I imagine like I feel like hopefully that's no longer an issue. But was that even part of the equation for you to to step out in that way? No, no, I never thought about it. Um, I mean, I knew in general that there was. definitely, you know, I mean, I would walk around the College of Engineering. I learned very early not to put on a skirt because I would get um, (laughs) stared at. Yeah, there was just the the numbers were staggering. It it was probably like 100 to 1 men to women in that at the time. And so, but, you know, the, I think what, what that meant, though, was that a lot of the women would look to find opportunities to meet each other and work together. And Mm -hmm. there were, you know, the women in engineering society, there was, um, I was involved in the ACM, the association for computing machinery chapter. Um, and I'm still involved in that organization nationally. And, uh, there were a few, you know, a couple other women involved in, in that. But, um, when, when I ran for and was involved in student government, there were actually two other women on Mm. the board. So, um, out of the five of us that were on the, the board of the engineering council, the majority were women. Wow. That's really interesting. Like particularly given the, the demographics of that school at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that just tells me that you don't shy away from a challenge and you took the opportunity to, to lead in that moment. And so you've been, I just find you're of a, such an interesting sort of career trajectory um, w- what you've been able to do and the communities that you've been working in, and that there's this through line of digital media and, and digital platforms and just sort of embracing, like you say, you're a digital native. And I think um, you can really claim that if you were online at nine years old. Um, that's, that's not something we all can say. I, at eight or nine years old, I got a Commodore 64. <laughs> I don't think that was the same thing. <laughs> it was... It was- <laughs> Around, it was similar. I had an Apple II Plus. Yeah. Um, but the difference was that I, I don't know exactly when the C64 was around the same time, but the uh, but I had uh, a 300 baud modem. Yeah, it, I didn't it, get it for more years. Yeah. Right. So that was really the thing. And, and my my dad, he, he said, you know, you need to, I want you to learn this stuff. This is going to wow. be the future. And I said, okay. Um, yeah. So he, you know, I, I was enrolled in typing classes and programming classes and with adults. Yeah, I did. You know. I did some of that too. Actually, my parents thought that I was gonna uh, grow up to do something with computers because I really took to it. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to an adult ed class. Um, my dad had to come and sort of sit with me because <laughs> I was underage. <laughs> <laughs> so he would sort of nap in the corner, and I would finish my work and then go around and help everyone else. <laughs> That's what I did too. But I don't yeah. remember my parents being there. Either they dropped me off or they were like my dad had somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made himself invisible in his own kind of way. But, um, but that's really cool. And like you, you kept with it though. Like I kind of ended up into this entrepreneurship path. I initially got into all the whole nonprofit fundraising path before mm-hmm. that. So tell me like, what is, 
the most rewarding part of your work that you're doing today? Like what, what sort of lights you up about it? Well, I discovered along the way that I really enjoy writing and communicating my thoughts through the written word. And so even though I love technology and that will always be a part of me and what I do, um, I I kept on, I, I started writing in college and I kept on writing after college while working at startups. I would write about technology or blog about whatever. And, um, and then I decided, you know, I was ready to write a book. I had written all these articles and columns. So that's, that came from there. Um, but one of the things that happened when I was in college, in addition to studying technology and technology policy and student leadership and working on it and all these things was I decided to dabble in playwriting. And Mm. I really, uh, found I had a knack for writing dialogue. And so then I took screenwriting classes and it basically at the time they didn't have any minors at the university but I I came out of there with what now would would have been a a minor in playwriting and screenwriting um and so uh, a few years ago I decided um well it, it was there was a catalyst involved otherwise this probably wouldn't have happened my dad died and um a lot of people came up to me and said you know somebody should tell his story he um he had polio as a teenager and became an attorney and you know community leader and, and all of this and uh, somebody should tell his story and I thought okay well you know that's that's yeah kind you're of made for this telling me to do this yeah. um, so I've been working the last year and a half on the screenplay telling his story you know 1950s Kansas polio wow um, you know and. And then it brought me back to all these other scripts that I had written and not done anything with and all these other ideas that I've had. And so, you know, I looked at the the media landscape and, and what's happening in film and digital, um, you know, bringing us back to, to digital. And last night's uh, Emmys, you know, um, all of the, the winners, well, not all of them, but most of them were, were Amazon, Netflix, shows and uh some hbo you know and and everything all of content is is moving in this digital direction and and so uh the new venture i'm working on is basically creating content that can be used in a variety of ways for this new landscape that we're that we're looking at now so uh, it sounds like you really i mean a followed your heart and i find it fascinating that as someone who excelled in computer science and engineering and really has that that part of your brain that you're also finding a way to express yourself in a in, through the arts through writing through writing dialogue um, which is not an easy thing to do which is why when you know you're good at it you feel like you have to use that gift um it's a little it, scary though it is <laughs> because i'm like the opposite of most people most people are like i don't know i don't know about going into technology that's you know whatever and i was like that's right awesome. there with right. tech yeah. since I was nine, so that was my safe place, you yeah. know. And so, trying to try, it's re- it took me almost twenty years to call myself a writer, even though I had been doing it and getting paid for, <laughs> for that long because it just didn't. I didn't feel comfortable with it. So, yeah. but even though I knew that my skill was in taking complex topics like technology and science and articulating them, um, it it. 
I have a hard time still calling myself just a writer because I feel like then it, it discounts all the other things that I've been able to do, which is, you know, one of the, th- one of the challenges we have today in, in, in branding and communicating mm-hmm. who we are and what we do. And I think that's a challenge that all of us face really, unless you've been in one career with one type of job, your whole, you know, professional life. Yeah, it does feel like, you know, there's a desire to have lots of hyphens mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or like slash marks between yep. and this and this and this and this. And it's like at some point, oh, wow. I really like the, um, I introduced you as an award-winning writer and digital media innovator. Um, that sounds awesome. It's, it makes me think, huh, how? What does that mean? And I think that, you know, um, it's always, it's, it's, it sparks a little curiosity. It's not a bad thing. What's been the... I guess the challenge for you, it sounds like you you pride yourself on working hard, um, learning, growing, like you're motivated to do all those things. Like what's not come as easily that you thought I need to bring other people in um, to, be, to be part of this for me to, to focus on what, you know, like they say, your zone of genius. <laughs> what's the stuff that you have to like let go of because it's just not yours to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I learned a long time ago that I have... Um, well, it took me a while to learn this, but it, I have a high risk tolerance. You know, one of those things they talk to you about as entrepreneurs is, is what your risk tolerance level. And also you, you talk about it when you're looking at your finances. And I learned doing these little tests, you know, uh-huh. and I was one of these people that had a high, high risk tolerance. And so what that means is that when I'm in an organization with other people, most of them will not have that kind of high risk tolerance. And this is a good thing because you don't want to just be like, oh, hey, let's go do this today and let's go try that tomorrow. And, um, you know, you need, a, you need a solid plan. And I've, I've always been a planner too, but there's a certain um, aspect to my personality, which is, is like, ooh, that, there's a bright, shiny thing. Let's go follow that shiny thing and try <laughs> that, you know. So um, I think that, being able to work with other people and identify the right speed to take change uh, has been a real challenge for me, but a great learning opportunity because um, every, every time you make a big decision in a project or in an organization, you have to weigh a lot of these different risks and you have to look at how you think about things and how you feel about things and then decide, all right, well, how are we moving forward? When are we moving forward? And, and at what pace? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that speed challenge has definitely been a place of, of learning for me um, to the point that I actually went too far to the extreme at, at one point and did not follow my gut and was like, no, no, we're going to stick this out. <laughs> I, yeah. I want to be, you know, I want to do the right thing here and stick this out. And it was a project that should not have continued, you know? Yeah, so yeah. that's how we learn. It yeah. is how we learn. It's true. And it sounds like you're kind of, I guess, getting outside of your comfort zone a bit as you're doing that as well and inviting other people to help you with that. Um, mm-hmm. I, because you've had such a varied um, work history and I feel like you've worked at almost like across industries because of the work that's taken you all over the place. I'm so curious how you've nurtured 
those relationships, um, maybe not, not the people you work with every day, but people that, you know, maybe you used to work with or that you meet at a conference or sort of that second and third tier out, the people that, um, yeah, like are, are sort of in your orbit, right? But how do, you, how do you sort of make an effort to stay in touch with, with your network sort of in general? Do you have any habits or practices? I do a bunch of different things and, and uh, some of them stem from just when I was trying to get a job after college and organizing my own contact database. Um, I still do that to a certain extent. I, I always have a master contact database that I work from mm-hmm. and I have never found one that I really love. Like there's always been some sort of problem with all of the applications from a technology perspective. I just, Mm -hmm. I never feel like, like Salesforce is probably the closest thing I've found. Um, But uh, not that I'm, you know, endorsing any products, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it's tough to take the time. I've, I've had to develop, force myself into stopping and writing down contact information when I meet new people, because even though now everybody's like, Oh, just, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn or send me an email. It's that everything is in multiple places. And Mm -hmm. as much as I love social media and I love how easy it is to stay in touch with people, then you find yourself in this situation where it's like, oh, right, I'm doing this thing and I want to tell everybody about this thing I'm doing, but now I have to gather all this data from LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and email and my contacts and it just it becomes a real workload and then mm-hmm. you have to get all this help to do it and often it doesn't get done right and you end up with a lot of duplicates. So, um yeah, it's it's been a that's definitely been something I've wrestled with over the years, but um I I highly recommend keeping one contact database with everything cuz you just never know what's going to happen with all these, you know, some government could step in at some point. I doubt it would happen, but close down social your favorite social network and Right. There goes yeah. your contact info. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because Labor Day weekend on the East Coast, I don't know if it happened on the West Coast, but on the East Coast in the evening, Facebook and Instagram were down for about two, three hours, mm. long enough to notice. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and I went to Twitter to see whether, you know, we, ha- we all were doing the like, is it just me? Right. Um, and there was hashtag... Um, you know, Twitter down, whatever it was, right? Uh, uh, Facebook, Facebook down, um, and it. I used it as a starting off point to talk about the need to build around email lists mm-hmm. because if you're putting building your whole business on someone else's land, and it land for whatever reason, I mean, if I had had an event that I needed to gather RSVPs for that day, um, in that hour, that would have been right? Like that's it. Like yeah. all, yeah. all of it's gone. So, um, you make a really Tell good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you make a really good point about sort of having a list in some way. Um, but you know, do you use that then when you're like traveling, do you then think, well, who do I know in Boston? Who do I know, you know, in Austin, Texas or whatever, do you think about it that way and then tap into your network? Um, literally in your, in your, um, whatever contact database you're using. 
Um, that's when I go off and create a new spreadsheet or a new file of people locally based. Usually I have, um, I have groups. I use groups for friends in Facebook. So I know I have based by, based on location, I have Mm -hmm. some groups. So pretty much for every major city. So if I'm going to Chicago, I'll, I'll look first and say, okay, I've got some Chicago friends and then I'll go look at my contact database to see if I'm missing anybody else. Um, Mm -hmm. that I wanted to reach out to if it's something that's particularly business driven, like I've been working in LA a lot recently. I'm, you know, with the, the film and digital content. So I have been building a more specific spreadsheet for that network that is completely separate from my contact database so that I can spend time with it and really look at who these people are and what they're doing and get to know their work better. So so I'm just so curious, what are the kind of things you're tracking? Is it your interactions with them, some background about them, where you met, all the above, like all the above, as well as what their projects are, um, what we might have in common, um, what part of the area they're in, because it's spread out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, that's really, I think what I really want to draw from this is not how you do it, but that you set the intention to do it. And that makes a big difference. There are a lot of people who think, um, oh, there are a lot of people who travel and never think to reach out. There are others who think about it, but they don't have the means to do so easily. Like you said, it becomes just almost an impossible task. And you've, before you even had the need, you were like, I have to build some sort of like database you know, CRM of some kind. I'll make my own if I have to. I've always been kind of agnostic about Mm -hmm. what platform people use, but that they use it. Um, Because truthfully, a stack of index cards would work for some people if you don't have a huge list. Sure. (laughs) You just want to like make sure you're staying in touch with these 25 people. You just, you know, whoever's on top of the pile, you call them and then you put them to the bottom of the pile and you you just every now and again, keep doing that. Um, so, So it's great that you try different systems out, but don't let the system not working for you, like slow you down. It sounds like you were like, nope, I'm going to just keep um, building it myself. And I I assume you're using like a Google spreadsheets then or something like that. I just use Excel, but yeah, it could be ported into Google. You can easily do it on any kind of spreadsheet. That's just what I've you started out been using forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the other things that I do when I'm traveling mm-hmm. along those lines are I, I will plan, I will take that database and I'll just select a few people to reach out to because if you try to get, you know, in touch with too many people, it just, it won't work and it gets cumbersome. And usually I have a conference or an event. And so right. I spend time meeting people there and then you've got the planned serendipity element, you know, and just, I I try to make sure that there's time available that I don't over schedule everything with meetings so that I can have room for that plan serendipity. I like this phrase plan serendipity. I have, um, in my, in my, uh, talk that I do, um, called art of the schmooze all about, um, networking. I, I often hear pushback, um, well there. And also when I work with my clients, I work with, um, I have a, a cohort that do this online, um, coaching program with. And they were like, I don't know if I over plan, you know, it might, I like, like serendipity. And I'm like, well, if you know what you're looking for, you'll see 
more of that. You know, mm-hmm. you'll if you know what you're looking for and you've done the pre-planning, then serendipity will happen more frequently for you. You'll be like, oh, that's what I'm looking for. So plan serendipity is like such a fun kind of almost oxymoron. And I and I yet for me it really resonates. And it sounds like for you it's 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 worked for you to yeah, think about it. It has. Would you just put yourself in the right place and then see what the universe presents to you? Yeah, creating possibilities. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, are there any other um, methods? Or do you like regularly host dinners or salons or any kind of ongoing activities like that? Well, I I have a few email groups that I manage with oh, yeah. various, uh, mostly women, women in tech, women. Uh, entrepreneurs, women authors, women speakers. We, it's very word of mouth, invite only kind of thing so that people are comfortable. I've started a couple small Facebook groups where people get in touch. Um, that's the digital side. Obviously, I like to um, organize and stay in touch with people that way because there's so many of us working in different places and even in the Bay Area, I it it takes so long to get to see people like my I have good friends in you know Berkeley that I that I see once a year if I'm lucky so um, <laughs> you know it's just it's hard hard to to do that so but we yeah I, we I sometimes will organize in person events I've been doing that less lately probably because I'm a busy parent and that's just the reality of being a busy parent mm-hmm. uh, but I. When other people arrange things, I try to be one of the first to sign up also because it's a good excuse to get out and catch up. And I have a lot of author friends who do book launches. So like, I'll get to see a lot of these contacts at a book launch this weekend. And that's a great way to catch up. Right. That's brilliant. It's it's also that you're looking for those opportunities. Even if you're not creating them, you're like, um, not shying away f- from the invitations when you, when they come in. So there's definitely a, a certain I'm I'm hearing like under under all this is sort of an intentionality to be open to what comes next, the possibilities of what comes next. I, so you and I got um, introduced through Michelle Tillis Lederman, who is working on a book about connectors. And so I was sort of interested to hear <laughs> what some of the sort of your takeaways were. Um, from from that from going through that process, you know, it's like it, it really makes you think about your own work. I mean, you and I probably naturally do a lot of our own connecting, I guess. And it wasn't something I thought a lot about until I was trying to teach it. Mm-hmm. Is it similar for you? Were you like, this is just who I am, and now I'm like, oh, I could tell other people about it. Definitely, definitely. I the the term connector. I think I was introduced to five, ten years ago, and I thought, oh. That's me. <laughs> because it's not just about meeting people for the sake of my own career or just for the sake of meeting people. It's for me, I get really excited about connecting people to each other. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's like a an old school matchmaker kind of thing. I've definitely been, had a hand in a couple of those that was not intentional. Uh-huh. But it's been, it's been, it just, there's a joy that I, that I get from um, having someone say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this kind of work and it's, I've been trying to meet more people in this area and I'll say, oh, well, I know so-and-so you should talk to her or him and connecting them together and then seeing what they might 
be able to build out of that. And so those kinds of people, when we're connectors, I think, naturally build networks around building these connections. It just kind of happens. And for me, the digital piece came naturally because I was such a a young digital native. So Mm -hmm. that was, you know, for Michelle's book, she wanted to talk about the digital connecting piece. And Mm -hmm. so we talked about some of these groups that I've managed and organized and put together just with people with common interests. So, so as you've been building your network and introducing people, I'm, I'm curious about um, if you have any intentionality about how you've diversified your network. Um, and I, I mean diversity both in the demographic sense that we usually think of it, but also in industry and um, levels within companies and all of that. Like, is that sort of happened naturally for you given the work you do? Or have you ever thought, I want to be a little more intentional about that? A little bit of both. Um, I learned another opportunity that I had when I was young. My parents uh, took me traveling um, to other countries. And so I learned, I think it was age 10 that I really sort of the switch flipped for me and I realized how different uh, the world, you know, parts of the world can be. And I, w- I grew up in a pretty, I would say, sheltered community. So it was really exciting for me to be able to get out and see different parts of the world and meet different people and and learn about their cultures. So I definitely have taken that and been intentional about traveling, working with groups like I mentored a few different programs uh, through the State Department where I've been able to meet people from all over the world. Uh, entrepreneurs, journalists, and uh, elected officials. And so it's been really exciting to have that, have these opportunities. And I definitely, if they come to me, I try to take them. And that has built a really diverse network for me. I certainly growing up in in the midwest and then coming to silicon valley there are definitely pockets of silos in both places where you meet a lot of the same i won't, I won't say kinds of people but people with similar backgrounds mm-hmm. so it's been nice like the the area that i live in now we purposely live here because it's a little more diverse um People have come here from Asia, from Europe, um, not as many from Africa or South America, but it at least has a lot more diversity than what I grew up with. So I think about that for my daughter mm-hmm. and how building more opportunities, creating more opportunities for her to see that the world is not um, just one kind of people. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting being a parent, how it makes you really think about that. Um, my uh, toddler just started preschool for the first time. I've been home with both my kids up to this point. And um, it's in a medical area. We live in that area. Mm-hmm. And so the preschool parents tend to have at least one parent working in the medical area. Mm-hmm. And there are people coming in for rotations for like a year or two um, from all over the world. Um, and it just it's just seeing the families that he's you know I've been seeing the families as they do drop offs and the kids that are there 
I'm realizing that this was a really great op- opportunity for him to sort of, like you said, like start to see the diversity of the world um, in this little tiny microcosm um, mm-hmm. because it, this this area attracts people internationally. Um, whereas if we had been in a suburb of my city, um, we wouldn't have seen that. <laughs> so so it is interesting the choices that you make and that the ripple effect of what who I'm going to now meet because of that because I'm going to now meet the parents. So, yeah. It is. Well, and I think it, going back to the leadership topic, it, it it makes people better leaders when they can listen and learn from these different perspectives mm-hmm. and, and people from different cultures. You hear all kinds of stories. I, I went to the Startup Women Forum in Russia. It was the first ever um, Women Entrepreneurs Conference. This was six, seven years ago. And there were there, just their perspective on it was very much roll up your sleeves and lean startup mentality there, whereas here it's it's different. And there were a lot more women starting companies with their husbands, and that's kind of taboo here, you uh, know. And uh-huh. and and you, this is little things that you learn from from talking about uh, from talking with other people even in the same field in different parts of the world and how how differently they can can view things right the the diversity those like edges of our networks is where we get sort of our most innovative ideas right about mm-hmm. a thing that we've always done and we're like wow you do it differently <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> um so th- this has been really fun and and i really appreciate you sort of diving into the sort of these different thoughts and practices that you have. Um, I, one of my favorite questions is a wrap-up question, which is, you know, if we're getting together a year from now and we are talking about all of the successes that you've had in the past year, I want to know, what are we going to be celebrating? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I would have to think about that one a little bit, but let's just say that I would love to... I just like to see progress. I like to feel moving forward. So some sort of new project, some sort of project in production or in pub- working on publication. Right now, I'm very much in the development phase. So I'd like to just get to that next next stage of the process. Yeah, I am really certain that you're going to do that. <laughs> I think you're probably the hardest thing is that you probably have so many ideas and so many projects that it's hard to pick the one. <laughs> But um, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, that <laughs> that's entrepreneurship in a nutshell. <laughs> but uh, but I think when you pick the one, it's it's going to be great, and I I look forward to to hearing about that and cheering your successes. Um, how could people find you and follow your work? They can find my website online, sarahgranger.com, Sarah S A R A H Granger G R N G E R, like Hermione, and uh, at Sarah Granger on Twitter. Oh, that's great. I'll have those links in the show notes. I'm also going to have a link to The Digital Mystique, how the culture of connectivity can empower your life online and off. We have a link to your Amazon page uh, for your book as well. Um, That'll all be at ontheschmooze.com. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sarah. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 113. 
That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Sarah, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week, but interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.